Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Blog Talk Radio.
What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome to another installment of Brown Sugar and Spice. I am one of your hosts, VPDZ. If you want to call up, that number is 646-200-3462. Once again, that number is 646-200-3462. Make sure you press that woman when you call up. Uh, let me go ahead and bring the host with the most on. We got Dr. Faye in the building. Dr. Faye, what's happening? Hey, what's up, DZ? What's happening? What's good? You sound vibrant. You ready to go already. <laughs> you know it. You know it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just right. excited about tonight. Tonight's going to be a very good show. Um, we have some surprises going on for tonight, so I'm excited for the expansion of the Brown Sugar and Spice show on OKR Radio. So it's going to be a great show. Looking forward to it. Word up. Like I said, if you guys if you guys want to tune in, you can listen live by by calling in, listening to on the line six four six two zero zero three four six two. Once again, that number is six four six two zero zero three four six two. If you want to get into the conversation, just make sure you press that one button when you call up. And um, I'm going to let Doctor Faye go ahead and tell you what we got going on tonight. Doctor Faye, the floor so is yours. everyone out there who is listening to the show tonight, um, we have a special guest co-host. She is one of my Stanford classmates, actually, went to college together. Her name is Miss Kaish Liburd. She hails from the Virgin Islands, so she is an island girl. I expect her to bring a lot of bold and spicy flavor to the show tonight. So let's welcome her to the show. Speaking of welcome her to the the show, we have Miss Kaish Lightberg, am I saying that right? At my own point. Hi, everybody. Yep, <laughs> we got our own. What's up, Kaish? I am doing wonderfully. How is everybody doing? We're good. Doing We're good over here. So you're wonderful, on the west coast, right? I am on the best coast, on the west coast. Um, we're transitioning to fall, but I'm enjoying the daytime sunshine. And yes, an island girl could do worse. So we're happy. Good, good, good. So we got me in Texas. I got DZ in the Midwest. And I got Miss Kaish representing the West Coast. It's going to be a great show tonight. And our special guest tonight will be Miss Tracy Oliver, who is also a Stanford girl, Woo-woo. representing for the Stanford Cardinal tonight. But she's she's a spectacular young lady. Um, she hails from the South, actually. Um, she's from um, South Carolina. She's a South Carolina native, Southern girl, who's now in L.A., uh, Hollywood specifically, doing her thing. She has some big projects coming up. It's going to be an exciting show tonight to talk to her for all of you um, aspiring writers and actors out there. It's going to be a great show. Looking forward to it. Word up. And I cannot stress again, if you guys want to call up, the number is six four six two zero zero three four six two. Once again, the number is six four six two zero zero three four six two. Make sure you press that one button if you would like to get in on the conversation. And speaking of our special guest host, I mean, I'm sorry, special guest speaker, we have Miss Tracy Oliver on the line right now. Miss Tracy, are you there? I am. Can you guys hear me? Yes. How are you? Perfectly. I'm good. How are you guys? Long time. I know. I haven't seen you in a long time. We're doing great. Thank you for coming on to the show. Of course. 
So we're going to get this started, everybody out there. So, Ms. Tracy, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got to where you are? Um, sure. I'll try to do the 30-second version. But, um, you know, like you said, Janice, I'm from South Carolina, uh, have like a performing arts background, did theater and dance and a lot of singing and musical theater and stuff growing up. So I, I knew I always wanted to go into the arts, but I wasn't quite sure what that would be. And then went to Stanford and still did drama um, and music and stuff there. And then after Stanford, did Awkward Black Girl uh, with Issa Rae. Also went to USC Film School. Um, after USC, did Awkward Black Girl uh, with a Stanford classmate and friend, Issa Rae. And then from there, just continued writing film, TV, and I guess my most recent credit would be Barbershop 3, which, you know, I was excited about. It came out earlier this year in April. Nice, nice, nice. You can just imagine that it's the most um, odd and exciting connection at the same time when I realized that you co-wrote Barbershop 3 because I was part of the background cast for the film and working on it in Atlanta. So that was that was pretty cool, I could um, say so myself. Yeah, definitely. And it was it was so cool Tracy, because I – oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying I kind of consider Atlanta like a second hometown. So that was cool to be able to go there and have my – family and stuff, see the movie getting shot. So that was pretty cool. Cool. So let me ask you this. So did your parents fully support you as a child wanting to go into the arts? And the reason I ask this, because most successful, you know, however worth it. So most black people see success as either you're a doctor or you are a lawyer or you are an engineer. So I don't mm-hmm. really hear about too many black kids getting supported to go into the arts. So how did your family support you along this mission? And did you, you know, were you met with any resistance? Like, no, Tracy, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. Well, it's interesting because my mom, I would say she's the reason for me wanting to even go into the arts. She was the one who put me in dance classes and put me in music classes and, you know, would drop me off at, like, rehearsals for plays and stuff. So she was always encouraging of the arts. The only pushback I got was when I wanted to do the arts beyond a hobby and do it for a career. And for her, she didn't really see that as a viable career goal. Like, she was like, you know, my mom's born and raised in South Carolina, doesn't know many people that have made it in the arts. So for her, it was kind of like, well, you're really smart. Why don't you pursue something a little more stable like law or medicine, like you said. And um, and she and my dad are both in medicine. So that's, you know, a world that she understands. So it was more about she just didn't know and didn't have exposure to people pursuing careers and making, you know, a stable income in the arts. So that's why she was kind of against it. Um, but as I started to, you know, progress and get jobs and started to make a living off of it, then she was kind of like, okay, this is great. So the support came, but definitely for her, it was like, I don't, I don't know how you're going to make this a career path. And that was the hard part of it. 
I see. I can definitely relate because I'm Caribbean, and we kind of pick a career path from high school, especially if you're from the British part of the Caribbean, you apply to medicine or to chemistry. So you are at 15, 16, choosing your life path. And so the the idea of going through a preparatory program, whether it's conservatory or your, your bachelor's in fine arts and then an MFA is kind of circuitous and superfluous and a lot of times um, not, not, not even accepted if um if at all supported so i can definitely relate to that but what was it for you that allowed you to stay the course and to to continue to commit even with the doubts around you from the most close supporters um honestly i was pretty terrible at math and science so (laughs) that that definitely um helped the decision because I probably would not have either been accepted to a medical school or would have finished. I just I was never gifted in math or science. So it was, I think, genetics <laughs> that kind of contributed to the fact that I was like, I've got to figure out how to make writing or, you know, the arts work out in some way because I, I just don't have the passion nor really the, the math and science skills to get through med school. Um, so for me, I just always enjoyed it so much that I knew that I would have to just figure it out. Nothing made me happier than the arts, and also that's just something that I've always been interested in and always had a passion and a gift for, and I just didn't have that for for being a doctor or being an engineer. There's no way I would have even been able to do those careers. Right. So let me ask you this. So do you find going to grad school beneficial or do you know people who are successful and say, Hey, I'm just going to write, I'm going to act and I'm just going to make my way, make waves in Hollywood so that I'm successful. Like how did grad school help you? For me, it was helpful because I got to learn a lot of different trades. Um, Just get, when you go to USC, you don't only learn your specialty, you're learning how to direct, you're learning how to produce, you're learning how to write so you're dabbling in a lot and you're learning how to edit and put things together from beginning, you know, pre-production through post. So you're literally putting something together from the beginning to the end. And that kind of education was helpful because that's literally how I was able to produce Awkward Black Girl. Was I was reaching out to, to colleagues and friends at USC that I had met and people were just kind of volunteering their time, volunteering equipment, and without that foundation from USC, I wouldn't have had that core group to reach out to to help put it together. Um, but, you know, I'm torn on the issue, to be honest, because, as you know, grad schools, schools in general are really expensive right now. And schools like USC or NYU, uh, which are kind of your top film school programs, they're really expensive. And coming out of film school, your average person is not going to land a job that is going to make that money back right away. So I would actually recommend because of YouTube and because of even Twitter and Instagram, there are ways to now just shoot something and put it online and get attention that way. And when something's really good, people tend to find it. You know, even if you don't have a huge following, if you have talent, you know, talent 
tends to rise to the top and get sought at pretty easily, not easily online, but if you have something interesting, it, it tends to go viral or it tends to, to be looked at and watched, and that can be sometimes a more effective way than going to grad school, just learning by doing and putting it out there. And so for financial reasons, just because I don't believe in people going into debt, that's the only reason that I would say I don't know that grad school is worth it. But for me personally, it was, but I don't know that I would recommend it for everyone. Gotcha. Gotcha. So do you remember that scene on Hustle and Flow? I'm going somewhere with this, actually, where, you know, I forgot her name. It was like the white girl, you know, DJ goes to jail, but he needs to get his music on the air. So uh-huh. she walks into the radio station like a boss. So I'm going somewhere with this question in the, in the sense that, okay, you're a black woman, you're in Hollywood. Like, mm-hmm. what was your path to making waves? Like, did you go through the proper channels or were you bold and you knew someone and you just said, hey, here's my material. Please take a look at it. Let me know what you think. I didn't really go through the proper channels, to be honest. The proper channels, they kind of differ for whatever, I guess, field or specialty you're leaning into. If you're a TV writer, probably starting out as a staff writer and then staying on staff and rising through the ranks, that's kind of your traditional path. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't really do that. I did end up staffing for shows, but I did a web series first. And even before I did a web series, I just wrote a movie. And that movie was how I ended up getting representation. But the the way that I got representation was just emailing. It was hustling. It really was. Just emailing anybody who would read it. And they included people that I had met before. There was a Stanford alum who had spoken to us when I was an undergrad and I reached out to her and I was like, you met me, you know, back when I was like a junior at Stanford and you told me if I had ever written something that I should email you. And so I was like, here's my script. So I reached out Mm -hmm. to like every random connection just like that and was just hustling. And luckily for me, the script did get a lot of positive attention and that's how I was able to get representation from that and then was also doing Awkward Black Girl simultaneously so I never did like a traditional approach I guess I was always about just kind of hustling and using the resources I had to to figure out how to get my work out there cool you mentioned that you you shared the script is there any angst or any precautions that people should take uh, when they get ready to, to share their art? Is there a, a quick or, you know, before you circulate it around? Because ideas are ideas, and, you know, they're a dime a dozen, but an actual product can, you know, be repurposed and you can compare it without your name. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you you can register your script uh, with the guild, the writer's guild, and it's a pretty simple process. I can't remember how much it costs. I think it's like $17 or something, but you can send them the script and then you get kind of a copyright number. Um, I think that's good enough, honestly, if you register with the guild to be able to protect it. But for the most part, I think a lot of that is overblown 
the idea of like stealing ideas because ideas are a dime a dozen. It's, it's really about execution that matters because there's only so many ideas. Even you know all romantic comedies almost have the same premise an idea which is you know two people that don't like each other end up falling in love with each other then they you know break up and then they get back together so it's like there there a lot of movies have a very similar premise, but what makes them unique is how you execute the idea you know the dialogue the characters those are the things that make it unique so in the beginning i actually would recommend showing your work to as many people as possible and getting it out there and not being too guarded with it because you want people to read your stuff and you want feedback and, you know, you, you want to start getting it out there and if you're too afraid that someone might steal it, you know, it also can hurt you because you're not getting it out there and getting, you know, any kind of attention for it. So, Tracy, so there there. um it's often talked about that there are limited roles for black people in Hollywood. And of course I'm not in Hollywood, but you know, I often see some actors, I don't even know if if there's a term for this where like you are just stuck with those type of roles. Once you do the scene or acting, that's pretty much has defined your career. Have Uh you at all experienced, you know, limited opportunity in Hollywood, a because you're female and B because you're black. Yeah, I mean, I there is thank God things are changing right now. We're in a very, very good period. But when I was leaving grad school, it was pretty dire. I was actually kind of depressed about the state of the industry then because there just there weren't any black people on television really. <laughs> Especially not in lead roles. That was pre scandal, pre blackish, pre how to get away with murder. Um pre-insecure, like, pre-Atlanta. Like, there was nothing, like, on the air that featured anybody of color, like, in a lead role. It sounds crazy to think about, or pre-Empire. It sounds crazy to think about now because there's so much that's coming out. But when I was graduating from film school, it was it was really upsetting because people were saying, all right, we like your script, but can you write for white people? <laughs> because I always wanted to write black characters. I was always driven to write stories that matter to me and writing stories about people of color is of interest to me. So I was being told, well, clearly you can write, but can you apply that to a more mainstream and mainstream really means white uh, in Hollywood so that we can sell your stuff or that, you know, people can see that you can write for non-black characters. So that was, that was frustrating in the beginning. And I would say now, my voice and what I do is being embraced, which is good. You know, I'm finding work in film and TV, you know, as a black writer writing black characters, which is great. The mere fact that you just said that actually made me frown when someone tells you, yeah, you're talented, but I want you to take that talent and, you know, use it to write for white people as if, you know, black people don't deserve quality entertainment. Like, did that was that insulting for you to hear that? Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, the, the implication is that black stuff is inferior. And that's still a problem, you know, to be honest. Like, even with some of our stories, 
and when I say our stories, I mean stories about black people, they're not written by black people. So it's still a fight, you know, when you see movies like Straight Outta Compton, um, even the new movie Hidden Figures, Black Astronauts. There's a lot of movies that come out and they feature, you know, people of color on the screen. So you think, okay, well, this is our story being told to us by writers of color, and it's not necessarily that way. And part of the reason why is because there is a stigma against black writers that we're just not as good, that are inferior to white writers. So sometimes we're not even hired for jobs that are about black people because they, you know, sometimes people don't think that we're good enough to write those stories either. So that is frustrating, and it's it's very insulting, and I've definitely been told a few times, oh, like, you write black people like white people. And I'm like, no, I write black people the way I see them. But in their heads, black Wait, people. <laughs> you write. I've been told. I've been told that the way that I write black characters, they come across like they're white characters. And that's just because I don't write necessarily with a lot of slang, or I don't write them as drug dealers and thugs and that all the time. I write them as, you know, intellectual people and and people have that have real jobs and relationships and just normal. But I, I, but I think that, you know, there's, there's an image of blackness that is skewed. You know, people think that like, you know, boys in the hood, which I love, but that boys in the hood is indicative of all black America, which it just isn't. So when you're like me and you didn't grow up in the hood and you went to Stanford, you tend to write stuff that, you know, isn't necessarily based in the hood. It's a little more, like, you know, centered on, you know, probably black people in a different walk of life. And when people read that, they're like, oh, you write black people like white people. And I'm like, no, I just write black people that I know and that I have grown up with or that I interact with on a daily basis. You don't know those people, but that's, the blackness isn't monolithic. Blackness can be everything from Boys in the Hood to, you know, the kinds of stuff that I write. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for saying that. It's as though, I think, for myself as an actress pounding the pavement and doing auditions, it's as though there is the identifying um, something you relate to, and then I'm automatically putting it into your own box. So, um, they see something that they have experienced, you know, whether it's the college experience or, you know, figuring out dating. They're like, oh, I, I've been through that. My sister's been through that, you know. But it happens for every person of every group, every ethnic group. So um, right. I think that's interesting. But even beyond that, speaking about the stereotypes, part of um, something that makes me cringe is um, going into an audition and having people ask me to be more sassy. And there's a whole uh, series coming out with a, a, a fellow actress who's talking about this, but it is real, um, where you're asked to be, give me, give me more sassy, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, underlying tones like more, more urban, um, more, are you trying to say ghetto? Um do I need to drop my G's from my, my words? And Ebonics is the only relatable 
language that you associate with certain characters. And so for me, um, it's especially jarring when that happens. And it's also as though sometimes the people who write the parts only interpret black people or see them as living and livable in one specific um, script, one type of person. And so you get the drug dealers, you know, street um, people, and those people exist. They're also, as we know, among our colleagues, a whole variety of other um, character types that, that do exist. And I, so I think in the existence for people who are uh, only exposed to a certain group, and this includes black people who have been raised in uh, communities where they are not associated with a lot of other black people, sometimes even for black people who grew up but moved away from that community, they kind of only see or only um, expect a certain type of character or behavior, and I think that's problematic. So for you fighting literally, um, you know, with, with, with words and with the pen to, to expand the view and expand the popular culture um, topics that we consume, uh, how, how do you express this or explain the importance of this to somebody who may be listening and they may not even think it's, points of discussion, like why even is it a big point uh, to, to, to diversify the character types that black people feel? Well, I mean, I, I think unfortunately a lot of people get their ideas about black people from watching television. <laughs> and because there's a large part of the country, you know, like a lot of states in the middle of the country that don't have populations of black people. So their idea of what blackness is, is looking at reality TV or looking at, you know, whatever stereotypes that they're seeing on their television screens. And they're like, oh, that's what a black person is. And so they carry this like harmful perception of who we are into the world. And I see that all the time. We're like, oh, I've never met a black person this and that. And I'm like, really? Cause we oh, exist. So we're all annoying. It's, it's annoying because we know so that we interact with each other. And you know, if you're, if you're a black person, an educated black person in America, you have to know white people to succeed, but they don't have to know us to succeed. So a lot of them just don't and don't care about that. So their ideas of who we are are drawn from the media or drawn from you know, television programs. So for me, it's important not only to inform non-black people of who we are and who we can be in a positive way. It's also good, I think, for just kids growing up to see people who look like them on the screen because that, you know, the images that you see as, as a child, like, shape who you are and shape how you feel about yourself. And so if you're if you're a black girl that never sees darker skin on the air or, you know, natural hair or anyone that looks like you for, for whatever that is, you know, it makes you feel a certain way that you're lesser than, that you're not good enough to, to be included. So I always try to write for black women of all hues and shapes, sizes, all of that, because I, I think there's a, there's beauty in the diversity of blackness too. So, yeah, I just think that, you know, to your, to your point of 
being asked to, to be sassy and all that, those stereotypes come from what they see and they, you know, perpetuate it. And I try to fight against that because I know that we're, we're more than just sassy. We come in a lot of different emotions beyond that. Absolutely. So speaking of the fight, this is a perfect segue into this um, next line of questioning. So, of course, there was a big deal with, you know, the lack of representation and, of course, Will Smith not um, receiving the, the award that his wife obviously thought um, was due to him. So with the mm-hmm. Oscars being so white, you know, with the um, things surrounding just a boycott in general. So I like to ask this question because I feel like people who aren't in that industry obviously don't have a lot to lose in that industry. We on the outside looking in, it's so easy for us to say, oh, well, they should do X, Y, and Z. And when I say X, Y, and Z, I mean boycott or form their own or whatever it is that people want to do that goes against the establishment. But then I often mm-hmm. think about the little guy for the people who don't make or the actors who aren't A-list actors, you know, the Will Smiths or the Jada Pinkett's who aren't getting million-dollar roles. What implication does that have for the up-and-coming actor or writer who's looking to make waves in Hollywood? But then there's the the dilemma that, hey, I have my own personal values and what I stand for and represent, but at the same time, I also have a career and a family and mouths to feed. So how do you tread that water or make sure that there's a delicate, that you don't tip that delicate balance to where you don't um, sacrifice your own values, but in the same time, you're not committing career suicide. Um, for me, I mean, I've I've had to be. I'm a, I'm a very political person, always have been, and, and very oh, well, race conscious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very race conscious, and always have been because I grew up with two very pro-black parents that were very outspoken about race and. And just imparted that to me and my sister growing up. So that's who I am. For me, being in Hollywood where there's a lot of, you know, discrimination still, the way that I kind of reconcile it while still keeping my career is that I use my art as as protest, to be honest. Like, and for me, that's my ability as a writer, probably first and foremost. So, like, you know, earlier this year, I wrote a piece for Cosmo that was basically why I write for black people. And I knew even in writing that like, some people were not going to like it. You know, some people mm-hmm. that I work with or some people in the industry were going to take offense that I'm calling, you know, certain people out for certain practices, but I was kind of like, I don't really care. And I put that out and, you know, even by doing awkward black girl or writing for certain shows or writing barbershop or, writing black characters, that's the way that I try to fight back because it's one thing to sit on the sidelines and complain about it. And it's another thing to keep writing and keep working and trying to beat the system that way. And I've always felt like doing your own thing is a better way of of fighting the system than just like complaining about it. And with the internet, you really can do your own thing. You may not make as much money, you know, as someone who has a show on the air or someone who's employed by a studio, but there are 
people like Tyler Perry and people can say what they want about Tyler Perry's work, but he made it to where he is by doing it himself. And even with what we were doing with Awkward Black Girls, we were doing that ourselves. And what ends up happening, because I do think that Hollywood does ultimately respond to money, if you can like garner enough attention and have enough of a following and an audience where they see how it can be profitable, black or not, you know, eventually people do come calling. That's that's kind of how it works. So I think instead of complaining, you got to like pick up a camera and start shooting stuff and doing, you know, doing a good job of it. And eventually if there's a following and if there are people that are really interested in what you're doing, you'll you'll make money off of it. You may not make money right away, but yeah, that's how I've just kind of handled it is just, you know, being like, all right, I'm going to do my own thing, and then eventually it, it works right. itself out. That's great. So what other project do you have, you know, coming out that's going on with you right now? Any movies, you know, shows? Like what's going on in your world? Yeah, so um, I still have a show in – in development at Fox with uh, Misty Copeland, the ballerina. And I have a movie that was just shot this summer. It's, it's called Girls Trip, and it was shot um, in New Orleans. And I'm excited about that one because it's, well, A, because I'm obsessed with the cast. It's Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett, and uh, Regina Hall. And wow, it's kind cool. of like. to you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about that. It's the first time that Queen and Jada have been together since Set It Off, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's it's set during Essence Fest, and they actually shot it in New Orleans, and I got a chance to go down to Essence Fest and see some of it getting shot. And it, it looks fun. It's basically kind of a fun party movie. So it's like in the vein of like Hangover, but with black women. Um, but there's there's a lot of heart to it as well. It's not just a party movie. It's about friendship and relationships and so it's it'll be good but that was just shot it comes out next year and uh i have another movie that i'm writing um for the little girl in blackish and um regina hall and that's at uh universal and you know fingers crossed that that gets made and just pitching um a tv project right now which hopefully the next couple of weeks, I'll know, you know, where it was sold. So, um, yeah, just staying busy in film and TV, pretty much. So I want to break down, as we summarize some of the, the key themes you've shared tonight, that you were very much invested in teamwork, using your resources back to undergrad and some from grad school and doing cooperative projects such as Awkward Black Girl. You spoke about being fearless in reaching uh, collaboration and sharing your work. But break down for the listeners who may not yet be at the level of having a final product to share. What exactly goes into your process from the very, very beginning of an idea that you can then bring to fruition such as Girls Trip? Oh wow. Um well there's there's different there's different approaches to it. Um for me 
the first goal I had wasn't necessarily to get a movie made. It was to just get representation. So I think if you're a brand new writer and you're just entering this business, um, it's actually really, really hard to get a movie made. Um, I have somehow randomly had that happen twice now, but it's really, really hard. So the first step, I think, is not even to write to get something made necessarily. It's to write just to show people that you can write. Um, so you just want to you want to have something, some kind of sample script that you can circulate that can get you you know, you can win contests with and get attention from and hopefully get representation because that's a feat in itself just to get a manager or an agent. So I think that's like kind of the first step. Um, and then, you know, once you get to that point and you have representation, then it's a matter of, you know, your your representation trying to get the movie made for you and sending it out to producers and trying to sell it to studios or, doing it yourself (laughs) you know you can there are plenty of like independent filmmakers um that raise money and do it on their own so you can you can go that route you know if if you're not if you're not getting the outcome that you want going the more traditional system you know i always think it's if you if you can raise the money or if you can write something that's shootable for really really you know a really really affordable amount that's great too because with awkward black girl like we literally were borrowing everything and i was i was doing like 17 jobs myself for free just just to get it done so we had a really small crew no one was making any money because there was no money and people were just doing it off of like friendships and relationships and because they believe in the project so if you're somebody that has an idea and has talent, like I would save money to get a camera and then write it in a way where you don't have expensive car chases and explosives. Just do something really, really simple like Awkward Black Girl. Do something that you can shoot in your house or that you can shoot like in locations that you can get for free wherever you live locally and just do it yourself. So, I mean, that's the that's the pretty empowering thing about cameras and and the internet now like you can get a like a canon 5d you know for like a thousand or lower um if you get it used and then shoot something and the canons look as good as some of the stuff that's on the air so you know there's there's options for ways to shoot something and have it not look bootleg like you can you know still make it look good for a low amount of money and put it out that way or you can do the traditional route of trying to get representation and get go through the studio system, but I will tell you that's a really, really hard path. Got it. Great. Well, Miss Oliver, I, I mean, I've been really just sitting back taking this all in, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was reading up on your resume, and I was, uh, I was saying to uh, one of my friends offline, like, the especially girls trip. I'm not. I know that's more so for the women. I know you uh, alluded to it was it's something. It's it might be something like a hangover type of trip, uh, type of movie as mm-hmm. far as women are concerned. But I would say, I mean, a studded cast like that. I mean, it, it looks like it's going to be something amazing. So 
I actually can't wait to see it. Maybe I'll take take a date to it or something like that. <laughs> you should definitely take a date, and you'll you'll enjoy it. It's not. I'm not. Maybe I am biased, but <laughs> I don't think it's a typical like chick flick kind of movie. I mean, they're okay. they're getting drunk and doing crazy stuff. That these are women that went to college together, and it's a reunion movie. So just imagine the shenanigans that go on yeah. when you haven't seen your girls in a while. So it's a fun movie. Okay. It's really fun. So it's something like you and Dr. Faye, you guys, you guys would would based off a loose loose experience. Would you say? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be okay. some foolishness. Right. <laughs> right. Well, well, I definitely want to thank you for coming on. And um, if you would, please enlighten us and let us know what else you got going on, where people can follow you at social media, maybe if somebody has questions about writing or anything, where they can contact you at. Just let the people know. Cool. Um, I've been pretty active on Twitter these days. I'm at Tracy Y. Oliver, T-R-A-C-Y, and then Y, and then Oliver. Um, okay. So, yeah, people have questions, they can send them to me. Um, and I'll, I usually respond to everything. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming up, and please, please, please do not be a stranger to this show, okay? Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I just Thanks, followed you Tracy. on Twitter. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Bye. That, that Take was care. Ms. That was Miss Tracy Oliver coming through, enlightening us with some of her knowledge of Hollywood. And as we do at the end of the of the show, we're gonna get Doctor Faye's final thoughts and, of course, the new host on the show. So, ladies, Ms. take Kai-ish. it away. That that was a great show. I learned a lot. Um, I hope listeners out there could see that, you know, you have to crawl before you walk. That's just the nature of the beast to get where you are. And I especially like the point when she talked about she did multiple jobs. She's working 50 jobs. They're not getting paid, but they had a vision, and it worked out for her. And perseverance will always win every time. If you believe in your vision and you are talented, so that was that was pretty awesome. I actually inspired myself. Um, even, you know, starting with the radio thing that I'm doing now. This is just a hobby initially, but now I'm thinking like, well, you know, maybe maybe this can go big time and maybe we can get more guests to inspire people to listen to the show and increase our um, audience participation. So it should be fun. Looking forward to it. And I'm so happy that she came on the show, took time out of her busy schedule because I know she's super busy. I don't even think she's on the West Coast right now. So really appreciative of her coming on to the show, you know, spitting her knowledge hopefully inspiring the next Tracy Oliver or Shonda Rhimes to, you know, take over Hollywood. Definitely appreciated the candor and her ability to just relate and break it down. And to, to be honest, you know, the, the struggle of the artist's life is not necessarily a predictable one. And it's not necessarily um, one that's structured in the same way for everyone who approaches it and delves into it. So it's definitely information. And, you know, just a reminder that patience is a practice, but if you persevere, then, you know, you, you can push until success comes. So it's, it's definitely an inspirational story. Absolutely. Based on what she said about that camera, I think it's time for Brown Sugar and Spice to invest in some equipment. We put oh, oh. microphones. 
A cannon side B2? I have yeah. no idea. We have to figure it out. You're right. We're definitely going to figure it out. <laughs> we need to figure uh, it out. I'm inspired now. All right, so we make it. Right. Tell the people where they can follow you guys at, and we're going to wrap up this show. Uh, of course, I'm Dr. Faye. I'm on IG, um, L-D-Y, Superfly with an E, not an A. I'm also on Twitter as um, L-D-Y, Superfly with an E, not an A. I've also created an IG page specifically uh, for the show. It is BSS Blog Radio on, on IG. So, you know, follow us. Check us out. We always post, you know, the latest shows coming up, inspirational memes and everything, and people seem to really enjoy it. So hopefully... All of you out there listening, tell your friends to follow us on IG. And I am Kaish Leibert, and all of my social media are the same, at ready to boss. Those three words uh, are rooted in, rooted in an acronym, acronym boss, breakout with shining success. So in every social media, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, Twitter is at ready to boss and I'm happy to continue to interact and, and share parts of my journey and hopefully um, some of my um, work will be inspiration and then we can continue to look forward to the Tracy Oliver's, the Issa Rays who are steps ahead. All right, guys. Yep, that's it. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And make sure you stay tuned on the 29th. We have, oh, I'm sorry, let me, let me, Dr. Faye, you go ahead and let us know what we got going on tonight. So on the 29th, we're going to be talking about unintended pregnancies. Oops, I'm pregnant. If you've ever been in that situation, tune into the show. Should be very good. Word up. And that's it, people. We will catch you on the 29th. Thank you so much. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.